And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's another state of the program edition. We've talked a lot about off-field stuff all week, so let's go back on the field. And we've got a first-year coach at a program that believes itself to be a national power but has not acted like a national power on the field. I speak, of course, of the Texas Longhorns. And to talk about Texas, I bring on Sam Kahn Jr., the athletics tech expert. And Sam, you did the state of the program story on the Longhorns this year. And I, I thought something was interesting right off the bat. You, you, you mentioned something that Steve Sarkeesian's father had said when he got introduced. And, and he said 22 years ago, he was talking to his son about what, what's the best job in America. And Steve Sarkeesian said, Texas. And this this would have been, you know, late 90s. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Back then he was probably right. I'm not sure it is right now. I, I, I don't I, think it is. I mean, it's definitely not the best, but I, I I don't know how far down the line it is because the part I can't figure out, and this is this is the part that bugs me, and you and I have had this conversation before, is I don't think Charlie Strong forgot how to coach. I don't think Tom Herman forgot how to coach. I'm not sure Mac Brown forgot how to coach because he seems to be doing pretty well in North Carolina right now. I I wonder sometimes if it's more the place than the the, the coaches. Yeah, I think I think that has a lot to do with it, and and so much has changed since Mac was coach. And I go back to this 101 and 16, and from 2001 to 2009, 78 and 60. Since then, I think I've said it before, and I'll say it again. 101 and 16 is the exception, not the rule. Right. At Texas. You know, it certainly post integration. I think pre-1970, I think you could make a different argument. But in the modern era, the the run that Mac Brown went on is not the norm, but Texas fans and alumni treat it as if it is the norm. You know, because that is the expectation. You know who should be familiar with this? Steve Sarkeesian. Because I think you can say the same thing about USC where what Pete Carroll did was not the norm, but it became the expectation. And in fact, Steve Sarkeesian was hired to help try to recreate the Pete Carroll era at USC. Now, he lost that job for for another reason, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into later. But, you know, that's that's probably a familiar concept to Sark as he starts at Texas, where the expectations are off the charts, but the reality of the situation is slightly different. Yeah, and you have, I think, some of the similar advantages were obviously great history, iconic brand, name brand program, advantageous recruiting base. I mean, you're, you're right in the middle of Texas in Austin, and that's that's really advantageous for you if you're Steve Sarkeesian. But I think it's just a different time right now in Texas. And I'm going to go on that last part, and we, we've discussed this before. The recruiting in Texas is different than it was in the Mac heyday. In the Mac heyday, 
Matt could pick the 25 guys he wanted in the state. That is no longer the case. Even if you had a great coach, it is impossible to dominate the state of Texas the way Texas once did. It's so fractured now with Alabama, Ohio State. Of course, Texas A&M is doing very well. Oklahoma has always done well, I think, since Bob Stoops and now Lincoln Riley is running things there. It is impossible to keep all the big talent. But if you're Texas, if you don't let Jalen Waddell get out, if you don't let the Garrett Wilsons of the world get out, that gets you closer to what they're trying to get to. That gets you closer to college football playoff, national championship contention, or even a Big 12 championship. Because though when you lose a Garrett Wilson or a Jalen Waddell, those are the difference makers that help you win and beat Oklahoma or, or win the Big 12. Jeff Okuda, the Brockermeyer mm-hmm. twins. We, we could go. That, that's the thing. This list could go on. And you're exactly right. At the turn of this century, those players commit to Texas and sign with Texas. They don't leave. Quinn Ewers is not committed to Ohio mm-hmm. State right now. He stays a Texas commit. And that's – but that that's sort of college football in 2021. You know, you got to prove that you can make first-rounders. Like, Jeff Okuda went to Ohio State to be a first-rounder. What was he? A very high first-rounder. You know, when they sell these dreams and then the dreams come true – it's hard for Texas, and that, that's been my thing with, with Texas, that looking into the draft numbers, I think that's where they've really fallen short, and, and it's, hurt, it's kneecapped them going forward. They still get highly ranked recruits, but you all also wonder how much of that is the Texas bump, the, oh, he's being recruited by Texas. We, he must be good. And so I did some numbers. Now, this is, this is right before Sark got hired, so this does not include this year's draft, which – you know, when you add numbers for Alabama and Ohio state would make Texas look even worse. But (laughs) so the the, Texas had the number seven median recruiting rank between 2010 and and 2020. Uh, Bam was number one, Ohio state, number five, Clemson was number 11, Oklahoma 12 for comparison's sake. So Texas number seven median recruiting class, very good recruiting. According to the recruiting rankings, they had 32 players drafted in that period. In the same period, Alabama had 92 players drafted. Ohio State had 72 players drafted. Clemson had 60 players drafted, and Oklahoma had 59. And that's it. That's it. Uh, So Oklahoma, every year, they have two more NFL guys than you because they're developing them better. You're not going to win many games that way. Yeah. And then I, I did this in toward the back end of the state of the program. I took the recent drafts because I was thinking, okay, Tom Herman's classes right now, four-year recruiting ranking 2018-2021, they were sixth in four-year recruiting ranking behind Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU. They ranked a third, third, eighth, and 16th, 16th being the transition classes mm-hmm. Sarkeesian just took over. In the last two drafts, LSU had 21 players drafted, Ohio State 20, Alabama 19, Georgia 16, Clemson 12. Texas had nine. And then if we just go to and, and, top and last three year was rounds, a good year. It was five five yes, guys drafted last year right. was a good year. So so five of those nine were were last year. And if we just do top three rounds, Alabama 17, Ohio State 13, LSU 12, Georgia 9, Clemson 8, Texas 5. So of those top six teams that they are in the blue chip ratio ranking and they're in the top four, top uh, top six of four-year recruiting rankings, they are way behind all those teams 
in drafted players. So, yeah, the question is, like you said, is it the Texas bump or is it that they're not developing guys? And I tend to think it's more the latter, Yeah, that it's a development issue. And I think part of that goes to the fact that you're cycling through coaches and coaching staffs constantly. Yeah, and because let's not forget, you've had two head coaches since Mac left, but both of those head coaches have gone through these existential crises where they dumped coordinators and 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 changed scheme uh, around or, or or just changed the the leadership of the program outside of the head coach. That two players and two people inside the program can feel as jarring as a head coaching change. Yeah, because if you're changing a scheme, then you're totally changing what you do as a player, and that may play to your strengths, it may not, and it's going to change how you look to a scout on draft day when they evaluate your video. Because if if all of a sudden you're doing something, if, if you're a drop-back passer and all of a sudden you're running a bunch of RPOs and, and read option, then that's not going to play to your strengths. I, I guess the same thing could be said for linemen and, and tight ends and receivers as well. Yeah, if, you're, if you've so, been in a zone scheme as, a, as an offensive lineman and all of a sudden you're asked to, to, to play in a gap scheme and you've never really done that before, you're not going to look very good doing it at first. You, you can probably learn yeah. it if you're athletic enough, but it, it takes a little time. And what do those programs that we mentioned above Texas had in common for the most part? Stability. Yeah. Alabama. I mean, Alabama changes coaching staffs, but they're a little bit of a different animal. But yeah, Nick, uh, Nick makes sure they've them, had but, some on the job training as analysts first. Right, right. But but Nick is still the constant as the head coach. Ohio State has had very little upheaval over time. Clemson has been fairly stable. You know, even George under Kirby Smart has been fairly stable. You know, LSU Oklahoma, had one big change. Oklahoma from has been stable. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it if you look now, it, it's it's interesting how that's changed. You know, it's not all the same guys from the Stoops era anymore with Lincoln Riley, but it took a while to get there. I mean, it's been very gradual. Any any sort of changes they've made, even even Texas A and M, even though they had one ch- change in this span, and it's and it's been to Jimbo Fisher, and he their, their staff hasn't changed very much at all since he's been there. This this year they're going into their second straight year with all the same assistants, yeah, which I think is more rare these days. So that 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 upheaval I think is having a negative impact on the development of these guys and and ultimately on the draft results. And again, they, they're continuing to chase this one hundred one and sixteen, which I think is sometimes can be a fool's errand. I think yeah. I think it's it's a, a a status that I don't know that they're going to achieve again. Well, I, and I also think a good realistic goal to to set is be one of the best two teams in the Big 12 and play in the Big 12 championship every year. Because if, you, if you're in that game, you can win that game. And that's that's the thing Texas has not really been able to do. They they made it the one year. They, they didn't win it, but they and then they go and win the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. Everybody was all excited. You don't have to take over Oklahoma as the class of the conference right now, today. What you need to do is show that you can be another elite team in the conference. Because right now, the second best program in the conference is Iowa State, which Mm -hmm. is just, all that is is a compliment to Matt Campbell. That's incredible Mm -hmm. that he's done that. And there's no excuse that Texas shouldn't be that program. And if you're Texas, you're behind TCU. You've lost to them seven out of nine times since they've been in the league, six out of the last seven, and they've had more double-digit season wins in the Big 12 than Texas has had in in the time they've, both been in the league together. I that and to me, it's not just that it's not just the Big 12 championship game, but now also in the 12 team playoff era, once this goes into effect, 
Texas doesn't have to beat OU to get into the playoff now. And now if if you can have yourself a double digit win season, get yourself to the Big 12 championship game, even if you lose, you may still have a path to the playoff. And that will help Texas a ton if they can get to that point. Yeah, and they have good players. That that's the thing. Sarkeesian inherited good players. So now's the chance to develop those guys. And long term, you've got to develop them because that's what's going to help you recruit. You want to you want to sign the kind of guys that Alabama signs and that Ohio State signs and whatever the recruiting rankings say, it doesn't matter if you're not developing those guys into NFL players because the best recruits will not come to you if they don't think you can get them in the NFL. I don't I don't care how much NIL money there is. I don't I don't care how much <laughs> how much money is available. The 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 money available for being a high first round recruit is always going to be more. And they're mm-hmm. going to pick that every time. So you've got to you've got to be able to do that. And right now Sark inherits one guy and look, he plays a position that's not of particular value to the NFL, but they have a guy who can be a legit bona fide star this year in Bijan Robinson. And the question is, how do you feature him? How do you how do you make him that star? How do you develop him to become a first rounder like Najee Harris was coming out of, of Steve Sarkeesian's offense? Yeah, if I if I was Bijan, I'd be watching a lot of as soon as he got the job, I would have been watching a lot of Najee Harris video because if I'm Bijan, I want to be utilized in much the same way. He's a little bit of a different style of back, but he is the star of this offense. He is the bona fide star, the best talent. And uh, on most Saturdays, he's going to, he has a chance to be the best player on the, uh, regardless of who they play most days. And so I think they've got to hand it to him heavy and they, they are not to particularly dynamic at receiver. They do not yeah. have a burner that will stretch the defense and scare a secondary at this point. They, they did sign Xavier worthy. The, the Michigan, an original Michigan signee who asked out of the letter of intent. He's a sub 10, five second, hundred meter guy, but beyond him, they don't really have somebody who will scare defense. So a lot is going to be on Bijan's shoulders this year as they work in a new quarterback, as they figure out who their go-to guys are at receiver. And as they uh, delve into the depth that they have at tight end, which they have some really good depth at tight end, but again, nobody that screams first round pick to you at this point. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. How do you handicap the quarterback race? Because I, I feel like the assumption was that Hudson Card was the the heir apparent, but then Casey Thompson comes in in the Alamo Bowl and looks really good, and you're thinking, hmm, what what what's happening here? And obviously, the Alamo Bowl was coached by Tom Herman, mm-hmm. and then the change is made, 
Casey Thompson does not go into the transfer portal. He's got a chance, but but who winds up taking the first snap of the season? This one's hard. I've gone back and forth on it a lot. I think the question is, is what do I think they will do versus what I think they should do? What I think they will do is I think Casey Thompson will take the first snap as of today. But they're still they're still got to go through training camp and they've still got and Sark said this a couple of weeks ago. He came down to Houston to speak to some alumni and said he said 15 practices weren't enough for me to judge who I think should be the starter. And so translation, I will not play. make a decision while they can still transfer. That's, that's right. That is correct. Because you've got to you've got to keep those guys on campus because once you name one, the other one's a flight risk. Uh, but I think Card has got the higher ceiling from a talent standpoint. And I think, I think if you if you gave the coaching staff true serum and said uh, everything being equal, nobody transfers. Who do you start? I think it's Hudson Card. But the 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 tricky thing about this is is that you do not have much depth after this. The only other guy on scholarship they have is three star recruit Charles Charles Wright, who's a true freshman who just signed and enrolled this spring as well. So they don't have a significant depth or emergency plan. Once one, if one of these guys transfers after they name one, but I think they both Thompson's to me strikes me as a guy who's a little bit more ready just because he's been in a college program for three years. The command he has, the, the confidence he operates with, I think is is fantastic. But Hudson's got some ta- some just pure physical talent and made he made a particular throw in the spring game that just knocked my socks off. And I'm impressed with both his mobility. He he played, you know, once upon a time, he was an all-state receiver at Lake Travis as a sophomore before he moved to quarterback. But he can throw on the run. He's got tremendous arm talent. I think I think he's the higher ceiling guy. But if you made me pick today who they will start, I think Thompson takes the first snap. And they take that first snap against the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. And that's you know, your directional school, you think, okay, that's, we're going to write them a check, easy win. They will not be an easy win for anyone. Like, that's a team that that probably will, I, I don't know, they bring everybody back. Coastal Carolina brings everybody back. They were the best two teams in the Sun Belt last year. They will be the best two teams in the Sun Belt most likely again this year. And that team is really good. Just ask Iowa State, which got housed by them in the season opener mm-hmm. last year. That's the that's the thing. If you're Texas, you better be ready because yep. the two the, the two games to open this season, the Raging Cajuns and then you're at Arkansas, an old Southwest Conference <laughs> matchup. They hate you. Me and David Ubbin just talked about, you know, Ubbin thinks that that Arkansas should go to the Big 12 because the only people they know how to hate are Texas and so now they get they get to just focus all their hatred. They, they've not been able to learn to hate Alabama or learn to hate Ole Miss or learn to hate Mississippi State or LSU. So they're going to focus it all on Texas. And, and Sam Pittman's team will fight you. You may be better than them, <laughs> but they will fight you. So I, I'm just – I think Sark has a pretty tough job ahead of him in camp and, and early in the season – to get these guys ready and and make sure they understand if you play like you played last year, you'll get beat in both the first two games. I keep telling people that Louisiana game is sticky as all get out. You remember the memes that we got and the discussion we got after Texas lost to Maryland? Oh, yeah. Twice. And, you know, this team 
this Louisiana team is better than those Maryland teams yes, agreed. that beat Texas. And yes, it's at home and it's the unveiling and Sark's debut and all that, but I'm telling you, what what's going to happen if they do lose that game? What happens if Steve Sarkisian era starts with a loss to Louisiana? I, they'll, they'll go nuts. The, the fans will be just frustrated. And I, I think at this point, the, the level of frustration in the Texas fan base is, has reached a point of, okay, I get it. We're not as good as we think we are. You know, I, I think I think the fans are actually fairly realistic about it, probably more than the administration. They they understand things are not as they seem, that despite all these apparent advantages, Texas hasn't been able to to really cash in on any of them. And so I, I think the fans understand and I I think they're an educated enough fan base to understand that if they lost to to Louisiana, that there's a reason why that that's a veteran team, well coached by Billy Napier. You know, Billy Napier has turned down some SEC jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. I I suspect he was maybe ha- holding out hope that Nick Saban was going to retire soon and and he could slide <laughs> in. Remember, he was he was one of the original analysts. He was a, a position right. coach at Alabama before he went on to Arizona State to be the OC. Uh, so I think. That that may have been what he was hanging around for, although I don't think that's going to happen anymore now that Nick has signed through 2028, and I don't, I don't, I think he's actually going to coach out that contract. But, <laughs> but that's a team that, and the thing is, I think football people and and that educated fan base. Let's say Texas wins that game. Let's say they win it by by a touchdown or by ten points. I think there'll be a huge sigh of relief. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, this is this can work, but if they lose it, I don't think I don't think they should panic. I think people will panic. Yeah, but they shouldn't. You 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 really should expect them to be kind of a coin flip in this game. I'd be interested to see what the spread is when this when we get closer to to kickoff on this. Yeah, I, I would not be shocked if it was a touchdown. But then then you go to Arkansas, then you go to Fayetteville. For a road SEC game that is going to be electric, I think uh, that is going to be one of the most fun atmospheres I think we see oh, all season. They're, they're going to be so excited on September to see 11th. this game to to see those you know see burn orange again, and they see red when they see burn orange. They 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 get mad, and <laughs> it'll be great. And we don't we don't know what Arkansas is going to look like. Felipe Franks has moved on, uh, but we do we do know that they bring back a lot of very important parts of a vastly improved team that that team got so much better last year than it was the year before so and that's that's really the kind of improvement that texas is looking for it's not the the same record they're looking for but they're not starting from the same place either you know arkansas hadn't won an sec game in in two and a half years when sam Pittman got there texas has been competitive they just have not Mm -hmm. been as competitive as they should be i mean i go back to the iowa state game last year and you know, the Iowa State fans got mad at me because I, I tweeted, I think, after the game that there's no excuse for Texas to lose this game, that that, you know, that probably shut the door on Tom Herman, because if if you're playing Iowa State and there is a trip to the Big 12 title game on the line, you have no excuse if you're Texas. You have every single advantage over them and you let them beat you anyway. And that is the most damning thing. So that's, that's the end what, of the day. That's why Tom Herman's out of a job now. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And that's that's what they've got to that's what they've got to overcome. I think it's possible. I just again, these aren't bad players. These aren't bad coaches. We know these guys can coach. 
I think it's it's a question of whether they can develop, whether whether they're going to have whether Sarkeesian's going to have the freedom to operate. Yeah, you know, I think that's also the perpetual question at Texas is, you know, are the are they going to be hands off and let him do the way he needs to do, or do they have to win the Texas way? Well, and 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 there are other things because with Texas, there always are other things like the eyes of mm-hmm. Texas thing. Listen. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a hard time recruiting if you tell people you, you've got to like that song. You've got to stand for that. And, and the president kind of helped tried to diffuse this a little bit after it got bad. But by saying, no, we're not going to force them to stand out there for the song. That's the, that's the way you should say it is it's your song. You like it. Play the song. But respect why a player might say, you know what? I don't want to stand there for that. And if you do that, I don't think it hurts you in recruiting. I, I think if you're treating players respectfully and you say, I, I, I respect your feelings on this, I respect your opinion on this, we can all figure out a way to work together. That's how you handle this. And, and that's, I don't think the players last year felt like that's how the administration was handling this. No, not at all. No, they felt absolute pressure. I think the only way forward is the way you, you laid it out is you have to give them the option. You have to give them the choice. And uh, otherwise, it is going to be used against you in recruiting, bottom line. I mean, th- it, this is this is going to be one of those things that could be a tiebreaker at the, at the end of the day. And, for and remember, you're if, already if, not making draft picks. Like mm-hmm. when, when Texas A&M, so Texas A&M's probably going to have, I think I would say they'll have at least one first-round draft pick next year between – Kenyon Green, Jalen Weidermeyer, and and DeMarvin Leal. One of those guys is going in the first round. There's a chance it could be two or three. Like, yep. They have they can say that. They can point to Miles Garrett. They can point we put people in the first round. Texas can't say that. And if you can't Mm -hmm. say that, then you're not even tied with people. So you got to be real careful what else you do that might turn off recruits. Yeah. And that's why that's why this season is so important. This season is so important for Sark, for this program. They've got to get. This is not a bad team. This is not a rebuild. I said it and say the program. They were seven and three, and they lost three games by eight points or less. This is a team that's not that far away. They, they were a minute away from the Big Twelve for championship something. game. Yeah. If you beat Iowa State and you get that get that shot back, then everything is different. Everything has changed. So they're not that they're not that far away. They've got some key questions to answer, as we mentioned, a quarterback at receiver. They're a little bit thin at linebacker. They got to fix that. But up and down the roster, there's a lot of talent. And you know, they've got a lot of experience coming back on the offensive line. They re- they're really, really good on the defensive interior. That's I think that's probably where Sark feels the best about them. They're pretty solid and veteran on the back end. So I think overall. This is a pretty solid team. I, I I wouldn't after Oklahoma and Iowa State. I think there's a group of teams in the Big Twelve that are going to be in the conversation for that third spot and possibly flirting with that Big Twelve championship berth. TCU, Oklahoma State, and Texas. Yeah, that is to me the group right after Oklahoma and Iowa State, and it is it is incumbent upon Texas to be in that conversation toward the end of the season to be in the mix in the last few weeks of the season for a berth in the big 12 championship game. I think if you do that, you go nine and three, 
I think you feel pretty good if you're if you're Sark and if you're Texas. Well, and the other thing is the the Big Twelve schedule, the the full round robin, I think works to a school like Texas's advantage in a situation like this because you don't exactly know what you're going to have, but you know you have to play everybody. Nobody's ducking anybody. A lot of times in the in the in the fourteen team leagues that play eight or nine conference games, who you miss is as important as who you play. And that's not an issue in the Big 12. So, you know, it, you're right about that 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 cluster of teams, the, you know, TCU, Oklahoma State. We'll see what happens with Baylor. I mean, Baylor was in the in the Big 12 championship game two years ago. Um, you know, I think West Virginia has been good under Neil Brown, probably overachieving under Neil Brown, and he's had a chance to get more of his own players in. And then K-State's beaten Oklahoma twice in the last two years. So there is there is a big cluster of teams that can compete for that second spot. It's not just preordained that Oklahoma and Iowa State are going to play for the Big 12 title. I think it's – you can very safely say that Oklahoma will be one of those teams. But I don't think it's it's real easy to just plug in a second one. I think Iowa State's at this point today – is above those teams, but this is a different animal for Matt Campbell. This is the team playing with expectations for the first time in forever. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see how they handle that, but having everybody back certainly helps. Uh, but, but again, they, like you, like we said, this was a team that Texas, you know, could have very easily beaten last year if they, if they finished that game. So I mean, they had, they had a lead. They gave up 10 points in the fourth quarter. They gave, you know, the, the clock management could have been better there were a lot of things that that could have changed the conversation we're having now, I think. Although I, I do wonder, so tell me this, Sam, what do you think? Let's say they do hold that lead and they win that game and they play for the Big 12 championship, which they probably would have lost to Oklahoma given the way Oklahoma was playing at the end of last season. What happens then? Are we talking about Tom Herman going into another year at Texas or are we still talking about Sark taking over? Yeah, I think... If they get in the Big 12 championship game, yeah, I think he would have bought himself another year. I think we talk about inevitabilities of where that thing went, but if they if they get into the Big 12 championship game, I don't think that public flirtation with Urban Meyer in the final weeks of the season happens. Right. And if that doesn't happen, then then you do not make Tom a lame duck at that point because once they did that, Tom was a sitting duck. There, it, yeah, there, it, it there was, was over. there was no going back from that. And I, I remember writing something that week when it became clear that Urban wasn't coming. And hmm. you know, what do you do at that point? Because you probably had to get rid of Tom, but there's not really an obvious slam dunk candidate on the horizon that would take the job. And uh, so we'll see with Sarker. We we don't know. He has had a job like this before, as as we said at the beginning of the show. He has had a very similar job to this at USC. Now, there was issues with alcoholism that, that got him fired from that job. Uh, he has said that that he's doing much better. Uh, that you know his his process is gone ongoing, just as as anybody recovering is. But this is this is a very similar job. This is all the the resources, but all the expectations, and really. Not the history people think. There's there's one guy near the turn of the century, whether it's Pete Carroll or Mac Brown, who figured out how to make it work, and nobody else has. So that's that's the challenge for Steve Sarkeesian, is it didn't 
And I, you know, if he hadn't gotten fired at USC, I don't, I don't know that he would have figured that out either. It, they looked like they were kind of on, on pace to be what they, what they've about what they've been under Clay Helton. So can he do it at Texas after he's been with Nick Saban for a little while after he's, does he, does he, did he get a little vial of secret sauce from Tuscaloosa? Cause it doesn't <laughs> seem like Nick lets those get out of there very often. <laughs> One thing I will give to Sark on, on this front is, and he's mentioned this before he was 33 when he got that Washington job. And I, I think we've seen when guys get jobs early Unless you're like a home run like Lincoln, right? Like I remember Cliff Kingsbury got hired really early. At, yeah, he was 33 on, Tech too. at that job. Yeah. yeah it, it's it's tough. It's tough when, when you're a new head coach at that age. He's 47 now. He's been through a lot. And going through the both personal and professional rehabilitation in Atlanta and Alabama, I think that's going to help him a whole lot. And I think the the foundation that he's starting with at Texas is go- from a personal and professional standpoint is going to be much better because of what he's endured and because I mean I was it's 14 years of coaching experience now and and 14 years of life that you've yeah. gone through that I think his perspective is going to be different and it will inform him in a way that I think he'll be able to do this job a little bit better than he was able to do the last ones. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The thing I'm interested to see if he can take advantage of is having been an NFL coordinator for a couple of years, knowing what NFL teams are looking for in players. Because I, I know I keep coming back to this and banging on this, but this is the way they get the best recruits is by developing who they have now into actual draft picks. If you don't do that, the best recruits will not come. I don't care what what 24-7 mm-hmm. or Rivals calls them you're not getting the players that Alabama 
and Ohio State and Clemson and Georgia and LSU are getting because those programs are demonstrating that they can put you in the NFL and Texas has not. But Steve Sarkeesian was one of the people who decided who played and what plays they ran on an NFL team. He understands what they want. He knows what that looks like. So I would think he has a very good chance of being able to to help those guys become that. No, I think that I think that's a good good point because spending a couple of years in Atlanta running an offense, no one ex- I mean, you have to scheme around these players, especially him as a play caller, and which he will do at Texas. You have to figure out how to beat these fast as hell linebackers and these lockdown corners every week. Oh, oh so, Oklahoma has a D line now that will look somewhat similar to what he saw in the SEC. They they didn't before, mm-hmm. but now they do. And that's sort of yeah. That's scary if you're Texas because Oklahoma's been good, but this is probably the best Oklahoma's been under Lincoln Riley. And um, and you get Gary Patterson, who is annually putting, he just put it in a second round safety. Uh, he's put in a first round corner uh, in recent years. He's, you know, had a fifth round linebacker. He's, he's got some guys. He had a first round D tackle last year too. That's right. He's, he's got some first, uh, I mean, some big time NFL draft picks coming out of his program as well. So they're going to have a chance to, to see some of this stuff, but it also gives, it's not going to be as deep as it is in the sec in terms of, so, so you're going to have a chance. So if he does this thing, right, you're going to have a chance to differentiate yourself. And if you get those guys, you develop them that way, then they can turn into these top three round picks. And then, then that's when you start getting more guys and that's when you start getting difference makers. And that's when you start contending for championships again. It's interesting, Sam. I'm I'm thinking about my tone through this whole thing. And I really, I, I I feel like I'm being overly negative and, it, and maybe it's just, I just can't give Texas the benefit of the doubt anymore. Like I kind of need to see it before I really want to <laughs> believe. How many times have we seen them ranked in the top 25 at the start of the season when they probably shouldn't have been there's every year, even if they've come off of mediocre season they're they're given the benefit of the doubt. And I think it's, it's one of those things where we've, we bought into that hype enough times over the years to what, where it's now you absolutely have to prove it to us again, where I come back and say, this was not, this is not a bad team. He's taken over, right? This is not a rebuild job that he's taken over. So they do have a chance to be good. They do have a chance to be in the mix if they play their cards, right. But, but because of what history has taught us and one time in the last 11 seasons, they have won double digit games once Wow! after going for, after going for double Texas. digit wins. Yeah. <laughs> they went nine years in a row under Mac, and now they have gone once in the last 11 seasons. Here's, I'm going to read you something Matt Brown, our editor, put yesterday. Since the Ndamukong Sue Colt McCoy 2009 Big 12, Big 12 title game, Nebraska is 79 and 59, and Texas is 78 and 61. What? Oh my gosh, I did not know. Now, Bo Pelini had some some pretty good years those those last years at Nebraska. But wow. I mean that that mm-hmm. is just mind-blowing. Yeah. Wow. They 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 are basically in the same class as Nebraska in the in the last decade plus. Which I mean just from a uh, a psychological standpoint, I'm sure there's a bunch of Nebraska fans going, "Ha ha." 
But <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. That that blows. Yeah. I wish we led the podcast with that. That blows <laughs> my mind. I yeah. But you're absolutely right. Now I'm just going year by year in my head with mm-hmm. Texas, and you're you're exactly right. So I mean, this was their records after 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 they lost the title game to Alabama, five and seven, eight and five, nine and four, eight and five. Then Charlie. Six and seven, five and seven, five and seven. Then under Tom, seven and six, ten and four, eight and five, seven and three. Mm. It's a little bit of the reverse. Those are a bunch of just the reverse of Nebraska. Okay but yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot of mech. Yeah. Wow. It's it's not pretty. But it's that's fixable, what, that's though. why we are where we are. And this this is and the reason we the reason we go through all this is because because of what they achieved under Mac and because they generate more revenue than any other college football program in the country there because of the recruiting base they sit in and all the advantages that we've, that we speak of. And there, should they win a national championship every year? Should they be one-on-one in 16? No, not necessarily. But they sure as heck shouldn't be 78 and 61. Well, and in and that span, here's the difference. If I'm on with Mitch Sherman and we're talking about Nebraska, I'm not sure I feel like it, it's fixable to, the satisfaction of, of the fan base of, of everybody who's, who has an idea in their head of what, what Nebraska should be. I do think it is at Texas. I still think it can right. be fixed and we'll just have to find out if C Sarkeesian is the guy to fix it. Sam Con jr. The athletics tech expert. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, we are a go to get back on the road, which means you and I, uh, we have to decide if we're going to do a barbecue yes. tour, a taco tour, or a combination of the two this season. But it's going to be it's going to be something like that. I am down. I am down. I I have been on the road this spring. I went to Evie Mays in Lubbock. Ooh. I went to Guest Family Barbecue in Waco. Uh, we got to get. So you you've been to Guest in, in Waco. Have you been to Hellberg in Waco yet? Yeah, I, w- I went to. I haven't been this year, but the, I went a couple of years ago. Okay, uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah, so I have done. Game. I have done Hellberg and Guess in Waco. Uh, I've been to Heim in Fort Worth, although not not on this trip. But I still haven't been have to that one. That, I heard. So. I hear that one's awesome, and and it sounds like in your town, Bacon burn ins, baby. Oh man, but it sounds like your town has just exploded in terms of good places. So I, I'm I'm ready to go. Oh, I made I made a Pinkerton stop this spring. You better believe it. <laughs> very nice. Very well. Went he, over and he, had dinner there. He posted a, a photo of barbacoa nachos with with spicy Cheetos on top, and oh, oh it just it looked Ooh. amazing. I I don't know if they're doing that at, <laughs> at the original Pinkertons in Houston or the new one in San Antonio, but it looks out of this world. Yeah, it's uh he Grant Grant knows what he's doing. We we need to get I know you had him on the podcast once before. We need to get him back this fall with Sark on board and he's got a new place. We got to get Grant back on at some point. Well, Grant Pinkerton is maybe the biggest Texas fan you'll ever meet. So let let's let's see if the Longhorns get past the Raging Cajuns and the Razorbacks and then we can get a happy Grant Pinkerton on <laughs> and maybe maybe he'll bring us some duck sausage jambalaya. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you, Andy.